iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yo, technology, what is it all about? If we stay human in the way we are, I think somewhere we want to die. I think it's part of the human existence that you somewhere want to check out of this and see what's coming next. But there will be people who, hopefully I'm one of them, I think life is fucking awesome. Like, and I want to see where this is going. So I believe that I will stay excited about life for a very long time. Yeah, and there might be other people who say, look, I had my 90 years and even if I'm healthy and young, and, yeah, I don't want anymore. And so one of the hundreds of things longevity success will change is how we think and act about dying. Like we will need to give people the option out. We can't force them to become some hundred years. Welcome to Danny in the Valley. How are you doing? I'm great. Not least because it's December. Amazingly. Um, which actually brings me to some logistics planning before we go any further. So, after today, we have two more episodes. Count them, two. Uh, and then we're going to take a couple weeks off over the Christmas break and New Year. And then, of course, we, we will be back in early January with a roster of amazing guests and topics. So, just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, we have today and then two more episodes after that. And then we're taking a little break. But as we round out... 2023, which has been kind of an insane year. I have a treat for you today because we have a repeat guest, one of my favorites, to come in and talk about all the head spinning stuff that is happening in the world, and that is Christian Angermeyer. Longtime listeners will know Christian. Um, he's been on at least twice before. And as we discussed, the first time I had him on way back in the beginning, um, five, six years ago was to talk about psychedelics and his efforts to fund research. Christian is an investor through his his kind of investing platform called uh, Apiron. And he is, uh, it is not an exaggeration to say, the single biggest funder in the world of psychedelics research, trying to move it from, you know, illegal substance to clinically approved treatment for a whole range of mental issues. So we catch up on that and a whole bunch of other stuff, because as you will hear, Christian is just a really fascinating person, because in addition to psychedelics, he is also very deep in the worlds of longevity, AI, crypto and other stuff but what is so interesting is how his view is that all of the above ai magic mushrooms life extension they're all deeply connected and they're all part of like a kind of a unified investment thesis almost like a life thesis and that's what drives his investments in all these areas and there is very obviously a ton to talk about in each of them um there's been a bunch of news both in longevity 
psychedelics and AI. So I figured who better to bring on than someone who is deeply involved in all three. And what we have uh, is just a really wide-ranging, completely fascinating discussion that will not only bring you up to speed on everything that's been happening, but take you inside the mind, as I like to say, of Christian. And just to get a sense of his unique approach to life, to investing, and this kind of fantastical future that he is hoping to help us all build and also to really deal with a lot of the dystopic aspects of this modern world uh, we find ourselves in. So trust me, you're going to enjoy this one. He's an extremely successful investor. He's put a lot of money into all of these different areas. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, here is Christian Angermeyer, founder of Apiron Investment Group. Enjoy. As longtime listeners will know, you've been on the pod, I think, at least twice now. I think the first time was probably five years ago, long time ago. You were the very first person whom I ever publicly talked about psychedelics. And I was completely nervous because all my colleagues had given me all these guidelines, what I can say and not, which (laughs) then I'm very much more out and about. But uh, I have these very fond memory. Yeah. So you were the very first person I talked publicly to about psychedelics. That's so cool. And well, to, to that very point, the world has changed a lot since that first conversation. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to catch up with you because as mentioned before, like you have your, you're investing in all these different areas from psychedelics to AI to lifespan or health span longevity. And there's been all this stuff that has kind of blown up over the past week, 10 days. And I was like, it would just be great just to kind of catch up with you because you're in the middle of a lot of this stuff. I can actually throw it to you. There's, I want to talk about psychedelics. So there's this, um, what's happening in Oregon and like their first kind of results of getting it out into the wild uh, for treatment of depression and other things. There's the X Prize, this new X Prize for longevity. And then there's, of course, AI, AI everywhere. You've had this Google Gemini thing that came out this week that kind of blew people's minds. It's looks like there's a little bit of creative editing in the uh, in those demo videos, but still, I think it shows where, where this stuff is going. So where would you like to start? Let's start with psychedelics. By the way, I do really believe, and it's not just three buzzwords in a row, uh, they are actually fairly interconnected. I think especially, or at least interconnected, at least there is a, yeah, they have some effect on each other or a lot of the, the, not problems, but a lot of the outcome of AI on society can be mitigated uh, with psychedelics. And then longevity will produce new, not problems, but like if people live longer and longer, we, we're going to have to think about again how society changes. And I think psychedelics are always in the center to help us cope with change. But that's already, or it's that too much because like much more nuanced. But like I think they're all interconnected. That's the short version. So, right. So let's start with psychedelics. So there was some data that came out of Oregon, became the first state in America to approve psychedelics for in limited settings um, to treat things like treatment-resistant depression depression and other mental issues. And I traveled out to Oregon. This was during the pandemic. It must have been three years ago when they were first passing the law, et cetera. Talked to the people who helped architect that law, who helped write it. And the way they describe it is, you know, if people are in the, like, say, if your mind is like a record player, 
and you are in a deep, deep, deep depression for which nothing works, psychedelics can almost be like bumping the table, like knocking you out of your groove and kind of helping you kind of reorient your mind and your outlook, etc. Anyhow, fast forward, they just started this um, first six months of these treatment centers where you can go in, take some psilocybin from magic mushrooms um, for any number of, you know, PTSD, other things. And they've had some interesting results. 700 people have done it. There's a ton of demand. And of course, you are a funder of, I believe, Compass in, in London and other companies just trying to get this stuff over the line and actually into the market, basically. So I don't know if... Um, where are things now? And again, especially going back five years when you were just, you know, kind of nervous of even talking about it in public, where things have got to. We should maybe for one second define and talk about what are psychedelics. Yeah, that because yes. I'm not sure if everybody is, is completely familiar with it. So psychedelics are sort of the, the, the group of or the name for the family of compounds which if taken enough of them, because there is also what people call microdosing, but if you take enough, so to say, then you have what we colloquially would call a trip, which most people would would say, you can say it's a um, hallucinogenic episode. Uh, I think most people would say it's a deep spiritual and mystical experience, which in a very short version, because you already said it, and happy to go more into the science of it, seems to be very, very beneficial, especially for people who have a mental health issue, so depression, anxiety, addiction, PTSD, but one of my other favorite points I think can actually be very beneficial for every human being because like we throw out the word depression and then yes, if, if, if you want to hear like there is a, what is depression, there is a, there is a, a questionnaire people fill out and if they rank, so to say bad enough, then we say, Oh, this person has depression. But I think that is a, a very harsh, like binary thing. And I think that is not binary. And like I could turn the question around and if we would have a survey now with all the listeners, like, who's truly deeply happy, I think not a lot of people would say that. Like a lot of people might say, well, I'm not depressed, but I'm also maybe not fully happy either. And then I have days. And so so it's, it's a very like broad and fluent thing. And, and happiness, I think, is this one thing where people can always have more. Yeah. So, uh, so that is one thing we could also talk about is like, I do believe yep. someone in the future, people are going to take psychedelics, not just for defined illnesses, depression, whatever, but like more for a broader enhancement so and the most famous one of these psychedelics is what we colloquially call magic mushrooms the compound within magic mushrooms which is creating that sort of trip uh, is called psilocybin the other very famous one is what people colloquially call ayahuasca which is a shamanistic drink mainly in south america uh, where the active ingredient which creates the trip is called dmt then there's 5-MeO-DMT, there is ibogaine, there is LSD. Um, and in a certain way, because some people call it a psychedelic, it's, it's ketamine. So that's the whole family of, let's say, the famous psychedelics. By the way, and then there is, these are what I would call first-generation psychedelic, because these are either naturally occurring or LSD is not naturally occurring, but was like created in the 50s and sort of, I would say, is among the, what is it, big seven, yeah. five, five, you know, kind but, but then there is actually companies also like my company, Atai, we're already working on the next generation psychedelics. So on new ones with special properties, shorter trip, yeah, more effect uh, whatsoever. So that's sort of the definition of what we're talking about. Yeah. 
in a short version, you, you, you used the, the example with a record player. I'm always like, and I think a lot of people still are shying away from it because like scientists don't like, and even my own colleagues are like, oh, we, we, we would say the same, but we as a scientist can't talk about God and religion and spirituality. But like, if I look at just like very factually on most, um, we have more than a thousand people who have been treated in various trials across the tie, what these people tell us and the words they're using, then to a very high percentage of people using psychedelics are describing the, the trip with religious terms, yeah, or mystical or spiritual. Um, you have this sort of kind of outer worldly spiritual mystical experience, which seems to be one of many. My claim is always like, does it prove that God exists? No, but it, it proves to a certain point that our human mind seems to need spirituality and to believe in something bigger to sort of rearrange right. uh, ourselves. Or maybe one other word to describe it, how I always feel it. It's a very subjective description of myself. I think we all have this ego, yeah, and we're not aware of it because that's how we normally live. And if you, since you're born, you have this sort of ego, which is like, one stuff and, and by the way it's very necessary that we have an ego because that's what keeps us going and drives us and whatever but like it seems that also that sort of maybe overly strong ego sometimes is 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 the source of many problems or at least is avoiding that we deal with certain problems properly and that part of the brain the default mode network uh, which is creating that sense of ego and which is practically saying also to me now here's i'm christian over there on the other side of the screen is Danny. We are two different people. Like all of that, yeah, that is is, is created in this uh, default mode network. And that part of the brain is lower down, or actually in some psychedelics, completely shut down. So then I always describe it like it's interesting that in the moment your ego vanishes, your brain or mind or whatever is not empty. So suddenly there is something else. And again, different people would call it with different words. You could say it's soul. You could say a subconsciousness, yeah, uh, you could say your inner voice, whatever. But if you read the descriptions, they all mean the same. They're just using words yeah. dependent on their social background, religious background or whatever. Yeah, and that seems to be an excess of or a, a source of knowledge, healing, consolation, which, again, is very very, very positive, very beneficial for various uh, mental health issues. And also last sentence, which is also interesting. It seems a trip seems to give people what they truly need for their problem in that very moment. So mental health issues have different, say, um, uh, root causes. So for example, if somebody had a trauma and that trauma then led to a certain mental health issue, to an addiction or whatever, then the trip is very different because when people have trauma, they need to work through. Often they actually have to go through it one more time. So the trip is not very pleasant, which is one reason already, which we're going to come to why you need a therapist. But then they seem to dissolve the trauma once living through it, leaving it behind. Could be, But, but such a trip could be very uh, different to a person who's depressed, yeah, who... Actually, often people with a, a truly depression have the best trips. Why? Because the antidote to depression is, is pure joy and realizing how amazing life is. So it's very interesting that right. the same substance creates very different trips for people. 
But it seems to be, again, that's not super scientifically what I'm saying, but like it seems to be when I look at all these thousands of people like uh, we have access to the records that a trip, all psychedelics are, are fairly, they are acting the same, seems to give you yourself, your soul, what again, whatever you call it, what you truly need in this moment to overcome that problem. Just to put some numbers on that. So again, going back over this in the last, you know, five, six years, you have Atai Life Sciences, which is one of your investment companies that backs a lot of this research and a lot of these trials. So how many people have gone through these trials when you talk about, you know, a thousand plus people? If you go back five years, I presume it was maybe a dozen, maybe less, maybe zero. But I'm just trying to paint a picture for people who don't understand, like what the progress has been and where things have got to and how close we are to these treatments becoming actually like a thing you can go get, you know, and be have prescribed. First of all, we're very close. Like the, the front runner is psilocybin, the ingredient magic mushrooms, which is uh, in a company called Compass Pathways, where Atai is the largest shareholder of. So we spend Compass out. So Compass is trading separately. So both Atai and Compass are trading uh, on the US stock market. And Compass is focusing on psilocybin, they're going to report phase three data end of next year, so 2024. And phase three, for, for people who aren't in this world, phase three is the last human clinical trials and presuming it shows efficacy and safety, then it's approval, then it's bringing it to market. You have to do two uh, normally, yeah, so it's a little bit of an FDA, but normally for any disease, you have to do two phase threes. So so I think the second one is reading out some months later, but what that means we're going to see, given that phase three will be successful, which I deeply expect because phase 2B was wildly successful of Compass. Um, and we have, by the way, all the data out there in the world. We have it in Oregon. Like, I think almost like if I talk to people, and again, I don't want to overstate because every trial has a risk, yeah, but like the world, like the millions of people who use uh, psychedelics already and have used it, by the way, for decades. And by the way, all, some psychedelics have been approved in the 50s and 60s. So we have even the clinical data then, and we have long-term clinical data, makes me extremely optimistic that we're going to deliver, we compass what the world is expecting, and that would lead to most likely an approval by the FDA, which practically is a global approval, in 2025. If you want to count it, it's not a psychedelic. I just want to mention it because it's also very important in positive medication is MDMA. So uh, MDMA though is not a psychedelic, so you don't have the spiritual experience. Yeah, uh, it has not the ego death, which I just described. It's creating love, which is also especially very important when you have PTSD. Uh, and if you have a good therapist who can redirect that love to yourself, because a lot of people... I think in our world, lack of self-esteem and self-love. Uh, and MDMA right. is sort of similar to psilocybin. So I want to mention it because some people count it in that world. So MDMA and psilocybin going to be approved and on the market, hopefully in 2025. And since we spoke, though, because it became, I think, a compass, I cannot sort of applaud George and Katya, uh, who started Compass with me, enough for doing that, for being the trailblazers, because their phase 2B study and the MAP studies really have scientifically proven, which people were sort of always knowing, but it was very underground. And as I like, I was very nervous coming on your podcast for the first time, because and by the way, if I go even back just three years more, like eight years from now, when I had the idea to start a tie and compass, 
and talk to the very first people about it in politics, business friends. And by the way, even the very like forward looking ones or the very yeah. brave ones, they all said, Christian, don't do it. Like it's going to ruin your career. People will super frown upon like whatever. And the only reason, and now it sounds, I don't know if I've ever told that, but the only reason why I went forward with it because I had, and I'm on the personal, very spiritual side of it. I know there's sort of the line, science on the one side and then how you explain it or what is the feeling. But like, I'm on the very spiritual side of it. I do believe psychedelics open up a way to communicate with the divine. And I had this one trip end of 2016 where really I, the whole theme of the trip was you do not need to be afraid talking and acting on psychedelics. It's just going to be great for you. Uh, which it was, by the way, so far. And I came out of this trip. And that's one of the other things why these trips are so powerful, because you experience solutions, answers to what is ever on your mind. And you you really, they, they're so deep and profound that you come out and change your life. So, so by the way, this also right. shows if you don't have a depression. Yeah, I didn't have a depression when I took it the first time. I didn't have a depression when I took it on the 29th of December in 2016. Then they give you other answers. They give you, I always would say, again, spiritual answer, not scientific one. They give you exactly what is at the moment the most important for you. Obviously, if you're heroin addict, that is your biggest problem. So psychedelics will solve the addiction. If you are very depressive, that's your biggest problem. They will solve that. But if you're very happy like me at the point, but I'm thinking about maybe even not fully aware of how much I was thinking about how to approach the the topic of psychedelics, they give you an answer on that. So they always seem to deliver, and maybe you don't even know that, that you need this answer, but they always seem to deliver on what is most important to you in this very moment. Just to kind of round that out on the kind of practical side, the data, that law that passed, you can use psychedelics, but you have to go into a certified treatment center. There's about a dozen of them, and you have to be overseen by a trained professional, etc., is that part of the trials that for Compass or a tie or, you know, how does that fit? And because obviously people are already trying this out there, quote unquote, in the wild, but it's not yet approved by the FDA. So just trying to kind of make make that delineation clear. No. So, again, this was always my point. So some people say, oh, Christian is hypocritical, which I really don't want to be. But because I obviously when I took it in a country where it's legal, because there are countries in the world, by the way, where psychedelics are not recognized, neither, they're not actively designed or uh, designated as legal nor illegal, just like it's not, it actually mainly South America, because they're, they belong to, to an angel practice. So I did it in a country, or did my trips in countries where it's sort of legal or not recognized. And then some people say, oh, why are you not advocating for broad use and whatever? Yeah, and, and, a, my point is what you just said, like it, you have to do psychedelics with a therapist. And I'm actually standing there on very firm ground because if you look over the last 10,000 years, psychedelics were always very regulated. So they were never easy accessible. And every religion, every cult, and by the way, side note, very fascinating. Um, uh, if, if, you, if people have time over Christmas, you should read... Uh, the Immortality Key by a friend of mine, Brian Murarescu, who has uh, shown how most religions and cults are actually based on psychedelic consumption. So all these people mm. said 
you need to do it just once or twice a year and you need to do it with a priest or a shaman, which is in our modern time, the therapist. So the 60s were an anomaly. They were an exemption from the rule. And unfortunately, because they were an anomaly and an exemption from the rule, they led into a complete prohibition. So I want to bring actually yeah. psychedelics back in a way humans have done it over the last 10,000 years, except of the 60s, is very regulated. But that's how, in my point of view, they unfold their full potential. Because like, especially when you actually do it for a reason, meaning because you have a mental health issue, the trip colloquially doesn't need to be, or most likely it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. These are not, it's not like, yeah. whatever, it's not checkout drugs. Yeah. And if you did it alone and you would sort of go into a very, I want to say dark, but in a very challenging, I like, I don't like the word bad trip, but I, I use the word challenging trip. Yeah. And you don't have somebody next to you professionally who knows what they're doing that can go very wrong. And for everybody who's listening, because I'm very, and I know that hopefully I come across very passionate because I am very passionate uh, about this topic, but I don't want people now to say, oh, I heard Christian on podcast and now I'm going to go out and grow mushrooms or find them in the, in the forest. Like uh, either wait, and I know it's hard to say that if you, if you seek for answers, like wait till we hopefully successful starting 2025 or seek out like in Oregon, yeah a way where you can do it in a professional guided uh, framework. So 2025, if all goes well, psilocybin will be like, you know, you can pick it up at the pharmacy. You cannot pick it no, up, exactly not. Like you cannot pick it up at the pharmacy and go home with it. You have to go to a center that will have it and be like, okay, you are here for 24 hours or 48 hours. We are going to do this experience with you. Even more, like what you will be able to do, hopefully starting 2025, that you go to a therapist. And first of all, by the way, especially when then more psychedelics come to market, the therapist, by the way, like any doctor, would or will make an, uh, an assessment, what is the right psychedelic? Yeah, do you need Tylenol or Advil or ibuprofen? Do you need MDMA? Do you need psilocybin? Do you need... And it depends because we, we be very generalizing and the good thing is that there are so many mental health issues psychedelics can potentially work for depression, anxiety, addiction, but also obesity, anorexia, any form of body dysmorphia, yeah, many, many other things. So first of all, the therapist will look at you and your history and will say, like, what, what does Danny really need yeah, in that very moment? Then extremely important. And by the way, exactly the same what religions have done over 10,000 years. You have to do prep work. Yeah, this is not like a, a, just like a pill you chop and or chop, like a pill you eat and then everything is good. Like sort of in our future, how we want to see it and how luckily also the FDA is, is seeing it, you're going to have like several hours of therapy before where A, the therapist learns more about how he can work with you, but also like, again, you get prepared for the trip because because the trip is so fundamental and so deep, you need to be prepared for it. By the way, some religions, we don't want to go that far, but like some religions require people to do three, two, three weeks of 100% preparation because they regard right. a psychedelic trip as so important, so deep and so holy. So then you will have the one day where you go into the center and have the session with uh, the respective 
psychedelic with therapists together. And then equally important, you're going to have several hours of post-integration because the one thing is learning, shifting the view on life and whatever, super important, but then you need to integrate that in your life. Some people do it because psychedelics are so deep and profound that they push you into a change, but it's even more sustainable and, and, and likely that you change your life and that you change whatever was creating the problem if a therapist is accompanying that sort of integration work. So that's going to be the three things like prep work, then the session itself with a therapist, and then post-integration again with the therapist. I think I told you in our, in our first podcast, but like I was the most unlikely person to do it because to then and till to date, I've never drank alcohol, never done anything else. I never smoke cannabis because I'm so afraid of it. <laughs> I don't think it's, uh, I think cannabis has a little bit of risk. So you think, <laughs> you think you're more afraid of cannabis than psilocybin or magic, magic mushrooms? There is no question. Psilocybin has no toxicity, full stop except of maybe being nauseous, but that's not to say toxic. cannabis does have a risk. Yeah. Uh, if consumed too often, it can make you dumb, very simplified. Like it's not a, I mean, there is, by the way, whoever is watching that you don't say, Oh, what is Christian telling? Like another person I want to give a big shout out because there were so many people who either directly because I knew them or indirectly because I knew of them and later met them. Yeah. Because of our work influenced what we were doing. And one guy is David Knott, who's a very famous, um, neuroscientist. Yes like you and uh, he made this famous study undisputed about the risk of various recreational drugs from the legal ones like alcohol to the still hopefully soon not illegal ones like psilocybin um, and you just need to google there's a whole book he wrote about it but the, the essence of what he what he did was if you google david and then not n-u-t-t and then the word chart and then it comes up which says everything you need to know about drugs Really, and I hope if one listener goes away and they change a little bit uh, their life because alcohol is the worst drug of all. Well, it is funny. We've decided that alcohol is okay. And and again, to your point around psilocybin going back thousands of years or 10,000 years or whatever, alcohol has also been around for thousands of years. We all know it's destructive power, but it's okay. But it's okay. Like we've decided it's okay. I even do think we know that is, or we, society knows the destructive power just partially because every single person I talk to about alcohol and show them, by the way, scientifically, what does alcohol really do? They normally say, okay, I drink much less or stop drinking. I do think actually because it's so normalized, it's so ingrained in our society, we do not know really the harm potential of alcohol because if we did, I think many people would think at least a tiny bit. It doesn't mean you need to stop drinking completely, but you should drink less. All right. So but like, look at that chart. I think it's an eye-opener for many people. Yeah. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I spoke with uh, David briefly on a story I was writing about nicotine and vaping when vaping was like kind of came out of nowhere. It's still around, but it's not the moment that it was. But same thing with smoking. Looking at the arc of how these things go, you know, there was a time when everybody smoked and it was the thing to do and nobody questioned it. And now it's like, why are you smoking? At least in the West. Most Western nations now are like, smoking is not, you should not do that. It's just an unqualified bad. But um, when you look at alcohol, tobacco, and psychedelics. It's just interesting how these things kind of rise and fall and rise again. And I'm, I'm sure you're seeing it, you know, as the chief funder of trying to kind of bring psychedelics back. It's interesting just to think about how these mechanics work on a societal level, because it's pretty powerful. All right, there are several explanations. And I think for a complex matter like that, many explanations can be true and, and influence them. I Meaning, one is obviously why are psychedelics having a comeback is because the problem they're solving, mental health issues, is by far in the meantime, the number one problem of society. By the way, financially, in terms of people affected, and it's just going to grow. So my personal theory is, but it's supported by data, is that the world we're building, and I'm part of that building because I'm investing in tech and all of that, and I love it, but I also have to acknowledge that the world we're building seems to be literally toxic for our brain. Because if you look at the numbers over the last 20 years of depression, anxiety, addiction, all of that, and if I would not tell you what it is, if I would just show you the chart, you would say it's an infectious disease. That's how it looks. Like more and more people, like it's spreading. Yeah, but it's not, obviously. Yeah. So, but something is out there in our world, in the, in the world we're building in our society, which makes us very or more and more prone to... Uh, mental health issues. So that that problem sort of calls for an answer. And the only answer we really, really have are psychedelics. There is nothing else on the horizon which is really able to cure these mental health issues. By the way, a second answer, which I really find fascinating, is if you look at human history, and I'm a super history geek and always like, what can we learn from near past, long ago past? Like, it seems to be you can very simplify it, divide recreational drugs, if you want to call it like that for a second, to check out drugs or numbing drugs and into more enlightening or more, more spiritual drugs. And in times where labor was very necessary for society, which was in times of war often, but also in general when we needed physical labors, farmers, whatever, 
then society was promoting numbing drugs like alcohol. Because actually what alcohol does, it make you fall in line, you check out, you, you, you have your party on the weekend, but at the end you show up in the factory Monday morning or you, you are a soldier, you do what you're told. So actually alcohol and that stuff makes you fall in line. And in times labor was important, the drugs which make you check out of society and be an independent person and dream away, so to say, right. were illegal. Yeah. Now we're entering a time that's maybe then the AI uh, relation where suddenly labor is not going to be important. Actually, we're going to have too much of it. We need to think new what humans shall do with that time because we, we will not need, in my point of view, human labor uh, anymore. So, and suddenly maybe we can allow also a little bit more that people explore their mind and explore other things in psychedelics because we don't need their physical labor. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I want to return to that labor point because um, I'm writing about AI this week. But before we get there, I also am writing about longevity. It's kind of people who listen to this podcast know it's one of my, I just find it really interesting in these attempts to really address aging in a way that in itself as a standalone thing that we can address. And I saw that there's this X prize that was announced, which is the largest ever X prize, $100 million, $101 million, to any team that in the next seven years can come up with a treatment that basically extends life by a decade. And that's measured by cognitive function, immune function, and muscle function. You are one of the people who are funding that prize, correct? Correct. <laughs> First of all, how does that come together? Because Peter Diamandis, who created the XPRIZE Foundation, I mean, they've been around for a long time and have done some amazing stuff. They're kind of, in a way, helped seed the space renaissance, space tourism, all that stuff. How did that come together and why did you get involved? Like, why, when we're talking about psychedelics in the moment we're in, why are you excited about that? First, like why I'm excited about longevity and then why I'm excited about the, the X Prize. So on the, yeah. on the longevity side, it's one of these things which I was always thinking about. So I started my very first company was a biotech company when I was 19. Now, technically, I had one when I was 14, which was a tutory company, but there was sort of a half, half real company like I was 14. <laughs> my very first real like proper company with other shareholders and yeah. everything and investors, whatever, was a biotech company I co-founded. When you were 19. Yeah. So, but all credits to my two professors by then who hindsight had made a, a genius uh, discovery and practically commercialized what is now called uh, RNAi technology. And I was just a very lucky co-writer um, who took care of finances and fundraising and whatever. But what I want to say is like, since I'm doing that, since I'm thinking about biotech, I was always very sure that aging is a disease because like it's not natural in a meaning like I, how I always saw it is like we know if you take the DNA of you of me so it's the same one on the day we're born till the day we die so nothing is changing in our kind of DNA in the basis of it but a lot is changing in how it's expressed like you grew older some things change like a lot of things change so and I always was describing very simplified for the for the non um, scientific uh, listener is like it's like the construction plan for a house for an amazingly beautiful house yeah and when you're 20 the house is perfect and the cleaning lady is showing up every day five times and and everything is super clean and everything is repaired immediately whatever but then over the course of time like the cleaning lady just shows up once a day and then when you're 50 60 
then she might... The cleaning lady might die, ultimately. <laughs> what I'm saying is that what we call senescent cells. So, so more trash is building up in your body and somehow our body is not cleaning it. So many other things. So, but, like, but it is like a house where we do know the basis, the construction plan, the DNA, and we just need to find out what makes it degrade, which aging is, yeah? And how can we make it back to the perfect state where we in our primes? So the thing we got all wrong, including me, and I was thinking about, as I said, longevity and aging since the start of my career, is that most people, first of all, it was always seen very fringe, yeah? And, and even a little bit frowned upon because yeah. the, the sort of core of science said, hey, that is normal. And why should we look at it? So my point was always like, that is, by the way, almost a religious belief. It's so funny that scientists who normally are very afraid of talking about God and whatever, at the same time, hold beliefs which are A, wrong and B, just explainable. Like these are kind of religious beliefs. But I guess that gets the question, why is it wrong? Because every living thing dies. And if it doesn't die because it gets eaten by something else or... I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying is like I want to challenge that we don't know if it's inevitable because like the only thing we know is that since we observe humans and since we observe ourselves and it's like people do die. So you could say there is a strong argument to be made that it might be natural. Yeah. Or it might be uninvited. Un, sorry, this is the only word I'm struggling in English. Uninvitable, I think it's called. Yeah. But we don't know. I want to just say this is the way. So it's a little bit. Let, let me give you one funny example. Like in the, what was it, 13th century or whatever, when we had the plague, really every single person in Europe, if you would have been there and interviewed them, they would have said, well, it is known. It's a fact that it's, by the way, since thousands of years, humans see the plague as a punishment of God. Yeah. And maybe there were yeah. 10 people who said, have we thought about hygiene and the rats? And they were like burnt as heretics because obviously it was a punishment of God. And someone we realized, no, it's not. Yeah. I think it's always valuable if we have a big problem and at the very end, aging and dying is the biggest problem we all face. Yeah. To challenge traditional beliefs and think of, do we get things maybe wrong? So what happened is till 2013, people though, like me and others got it wrong because we were all thinking there is this one switch we need to find, which is sort of switching on and off aging. And if we find the switch, we could sort of switch off aging. Here we are. That was wrong. And then I'm super proud because there came a guy called Manuel Serrano, which is the co-founder of one of my two longevity companies, Le Rejuveron, who came out with a paper where he said, well, aging is not a single disease. This is why we haven't understood it yet. But he yeah. find that they are in the in that day he had nine hallmarks of aging and now he added three and now it's twelve hallmarks of aging, which are twelve let's call it sub problems, which suddenly though were very tangible like metabolic dysfunction, stem cell exhaustion, uh, senescent cells, whatever, and these nine hallmarks of aging together form a picture with we then as humans started calling aging. And they can be traced back to the same kind of biological roots, effectively, or the biological or cellular misfunction or dysfunction. And so if you can trace it back to the roots and treat it at the root, then all of these other hallmarks of aging will improve. The, the different hallmarks of aging have different roots, but the assumption is 
these hallmarks of aging suddenly were very tangible problems where scientists suddenly say, oh, wait a moment, that's not as esoteric like the word uh, aging. Yeah, metabolic dysfunction, stem cell exhaustion. Okay, that we understand. And now we can start finding solutions for these hallmarks of aging. And the assumption is if we find enough solutions for all of them, it doesn't, it's not sufficient to just find one because then the others kill you, so to say. But like the assumption is if we're able to find solutions against these 12 hallmarks of aging, we're going to significantly improve both lifespan, so the sheer time we're living, plus health span. So are we in a good fit state or are we like vegetable? Yeah, so and obviously it doesn't, wouldn't be great if we lived yeah. years longer, but we are vegetable. So we want both. We want duration and we want uh, sort of rejuvenation. And I deeply believe that we're going to achieve that in the next decade or two by finding solutions against these hallmarks of aging. And what does that mean when you think about that belief that in the, ne in the next decade or two, we will figure this out? What does that mean for human existence? Does that mean we live forever? Does that mean we live to 120? I don't think anybody's lived past their 120s. Does it go further than that? Have you, or do you think about it that way? Yeah, no, so nobody will live forever. People have no, like, I, that is another, it's almost then again, we're in the religious terms because forever is a very religious long time. Could be another discussion. I do believe we have a, an eternal soul, but that's a different answer. So, but on the, on the physical body, I think we, in the next, let's say 15 to 20 years maximum, I think, by the way, way quicker, Again, why, what I said at the beginning, all, why is AI so important? Because AI will speed up how we gain knowledge and how we develop new therapeutics, whatever. So maybe quicker than I say now, but for now, let's say I'm conservative. In the next 15 years, we're going to have that one magic year where we gain more than one year of life expectancy for all of us by technological innovation than the one calendar year we're losing. And from then on, all bets are, are on because technically then we can go for very long. So I don't think it's just 120. I do think at least people who are born, my, my 10-year-old godson, he has the potential to live some 100 years. And by the way, will we face problems we don't even know yet? For sure. Like when we get to 100, 120, there will be new hallmarks of aging. There will be new problems. But like... Just think about technological innovation and the ex and this is what actually, by the way, why I'm such a big fan of Peter and how I met him, Diamandis, who then is doing the X Prize, because he's the guy who's truly pioneering and very optimistic. What I believe in as well is like we haven't fully understood the power of exponential innovation. Things are not going linear, yeah, and they will accelerate and they will accelerate even more with the use and the, the support of AI. So yes, will there be problems we're going to face when we get older, which we don't know yet for sure, but we're going to solve them and solve them. It's going to be a rat race. Yeah, but I think, actually, I think you and I are already have this escape velocity where we're in this positive sort of rat race and we're going to go on for very long. So I believe actually that we already, you and I, and definitely people younger, will live that long that if we stay human, in the form we're now, because that's a big if, because what we don't know 
is what will happen if we merge and if we more integrate machines like which we already started with a pacemaker by the way it's not and you have Neuralink with which elon is working on etc uh, and there i want to throw in because that is i'm super proud we have a company which is seven years ahead of elon and bci yeah uh, i think he's amazing but in this point we're far far ahead uh because we already have 70 people he's not even in humans yet he just got the approval to put it in humans what company is this? It's called BlackRock Neuroscience. Oh, I know BlackRock. I've had them on the podcast. I wrote a big thing about them. We know Marcus Gerhardt. Yes, amazing. Another German chap. Yeah. And we have more than 40, 50 people with chips in the brain. And as you know, when they were on a podcast, and these people can do things which you would call magic or sci-fi. It's an ALS patient who can communicate with his thoughts like and stuff like that. So, so we don't know where this is ending if we... That's why I'm always add what I was wanting to say. But like, if we stay human in the way we are, I think somewhere we want to die. I think it's part of the human existence that you somewhere want to check out of this and see what's coming next. But there will be people who, hopefully, I'm one of them. I think life is fucking awesome. Like, and I want to see where this is going. So I believe that I will stay excited about life for a very long time. Yeah, and there might be other people who say, look, I had my 90 years, and even if I'm healthy and young, and, yeah, I don't want anymore. And so one of the hundreds of things longevity success will change is how we think and act about dying. Like, we will need to give people the option out. We can't force them to become some hundred years, yeah. But we, we, we will give people the option. So when we're doing this podcast in 2150, we can talk about the new approach to dying and death and the circle of life because <laughs> but that's kind of the conception you're talking about society will be fundamentally changed by the way let's go back to about and i want to make that clear because people might think now okay he's crazy or whatever it's not going to happen overnight it's not that listeners will wake up and they're going to be a headline in the news which say christian was successful and now we're going to become 500 years it's going to be a gradual thing, but like, and by the way, it's already happening. We're going to get older. Like, yeah, if you would speak to somebody in medieval ages, they would say, wow, 85, like, what do our people doing with 85 years? And by the way, oh my God, an 85 year is so healthy. Like, yeah. So it's just like, we sometimes a little bit like, but it's a, it's a negative example or like, sorry, negative picture, but I, I want to mean it positive. Like it's like the frog was cooked. You don't feel the heat rising. And this way in a positive way. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's interesting how quickly we get used to things that even a few years ago would have seen magic like, you know, it's been a year since Chad GPT came out and everybody's like, yeah, of course it does that now. And then the new thing comes out like, oh my God. And then you get used to it. On your point on longevity though, we also, it's, you know, these things kind of go up and down, right? Like we actually have gone into reverse these last few years, which leads to the other thing that you mentioned in the, uh, over email before we got on uh, Ozempic, because, you know, in addition to COVID, we're all fatter than we've ever been in the history of humanity. And it's, killing us and then you have things like ozempic come out who's just like we'll see how this all develops but it is it i mean obviously it's become this phenomenon multi-billion dollar drug and at least for now it seems to be delivering some real benefits to people though we'll see how that develops because it does feel like it, it does seem to be wasting some muscle and doing some things that you don't want etc but um you did bring up ozempic and it just that kind of emerged in the in this discussion it's not medical advice i think ozempic is actually a very good drug because like not just you're losing weight like by the way all these um diabetes drugs have a positive effect on 
risk of cancer, many positive meanings, they lower the risk of cancer, they lower the risk for cardiovascular disease. There is Munjaro. Like metformin. Yeah, exactly. Like metformin was always known for that. And Ozempic now has the other, let's call it side effect, that you, you decrease your appetite and you lose weight. But what is more important, why I love Ozempic as an example, how the biotech world is changing, and I think in a very good way, is if you look back the last 20, 25 years, one thing which has always really bothered me in biotech was that the amount of patients treated overall and the focus the, the industry has put on became narrower and narrower. I, I don't know if I pull up the, the super exact data, but it's something like that, that in 1995, if you looked at the top 10 best-selling drugs by revenues, I think it was something like 40, 45 million people in the US who took the top 10 best-selling drugs. In 2019, I think the top 10 best-selling drugs by revenues were taken by just, I think it was 7 million people. So it means less and less, so that the industry was focused on treating less and less people, charging them, by the way, these crazy prices, you know, all these discussions yeah. about rare orphan diseases, whatever, then you, so. I was always the point is, first of all, if I look at my tech business, the magic word is always total addressable market. And the rule is normally in tech is like the more people you can serve potentially globally, the bigger your company gets. So I always was trying to push that into my biotech colleagues and saying, look, we need ideally a total addressable market of 100%. And by the way, what are the two things we truly all human beings want? 100%, no exemption, is we want to be happy, psychedelics, and we want to be healthy. Nobody would say, I don't want to be happy, I don't want to be healthy. And once you're happy and healthy, then you want to actually live very long, or at least want to have the option. So I always was thinking that mental health, and especially psychedelics, and then the new longevity stuff is breaking that sort of dogma of, oh, we need to be more niche and niche, and like opening up like products again, 200% ideally of, of the addressable market. And so came Ozempic, because if I would have told you that a year or two ago, and I was always talking about this total addressable market, it's a little bit like the same what happened to psychedelics itself. Like people were a little bit frowning upon, like even sort of my own industry colleagues. And by the way, because the magic world word is off-label use. So, and that the FDA is not so happy yeah. about it. I'm saying it nevertheless, because like many things is like, where does... I told you that with depression, like where does depression start? Where, do, But could we not all want to be a little bit more happy? Yeah. So comes in Ozempic and contrary to the belief, Ozempic is not made for weight loss just as the word because I'm using Ozempic and it's not made for me. It's actually the approval of Ozempic is for clinically obese people. And hopefully I'm not deemed clinically obese. But I like it because it helps me lose weight. It's weight management. I'm less hungry and I, I need less discipline to just stay sort of as slim as I want to be. And at the same time, it has all these other benefits. So, but big portions, I don't know the exact number, but I guess like way more than 50%, way more of the revenues of Ozempic are so-called off-label use, which people frowned upon the last 20 years. Oh, wow. And suddenly what has happened is, Novo Nordisk, the producer of Ozempic, added more than 100 billion market cap. And 
in a capitalistic world, that is a number people are very excited about. And suddenly, really overnight, it's a little bit the same like overnight almost, the few on, on psychedelic exchange, the few on off-label use or in general on vanity or lifestyle drugs has changed. By the way, my view is, and I know I'm doing it very carefully because it's uh, <laughs> we're both sitting in America right now and that's always a thing, but I, I think it very positively. I think the underlying social trend for Ozempic is the trans movement because like the trans movement changes. And I think you always have that zeitgeist. And I think we're going to look in 30 years and say, wow, that trans movement, which was meant for people who believe they're in the wrong body, beyond that changed the entire society. Why? Because it changed a few to you can be born as a boy and if you really feel that you're a girl, you can take, by the way, very strong drugs to change. Yeah. And that's contrary to whatever the FDA and all pharma companies were saying so far. So I'm very happy about these trailblazers. And I, I really want to make a joke. I know people are sensitive, but I could say I'm a trans athlete. Yeah, I'm actually a superstar athlete who would win a gold medal trapped in a normal dude's body. But if I take the right drugs, I'm going to get jacked and ripped and going to run faster. And if that's my true calling, who should deny it to me? And I love that because I always, I think we humans should always strive. A, I'm a libertarian. People should be and do and whatever they want. Yeah. And biotech should support them. Yeah. And sort of, I think, so that is the sort of subliminal or like the, the, the underlying zeitgeist, which is changing, we suddenly allowing support for really severe positive changes. Because again, if somebody is really trapped in the wrong body, yeah, it's totally justified and this person will be happier. But like, again, if somebody is happier taking Ozempic and losing weight, great, let's endorse that. Yeah, it's all about what people want. And it's like it's sort of my body, my choice. I believe like when we sit here in 10 years ago, in 10 years from now, weight loss is just the very beginning. The next thing, which is already, by the way, happening is muscles. Because like that's also a little bit the downside of all these weight loss drugs and Ozempic and Munjaro, you lose a tiny bit of muscles. So, but there is already companies, and I'm very proud both in my, because in my both longevity companies, Rejuveron Cambrian, we have super interesting novel drugs which help you put on muscles. Yeah, because by the way, it's a, big problem of aging is people losing uh, too much muscles. So, but now it's becoming from aging alone, it's becoming a lifestyle thing. So muscles is the next thing that I'm very, very sure, give it two or three years after approval, happiness is then the next level where people say, look, right. I might not be depressive, but I want to be more happy. Why should I not be allowed to get psychedelic therapy? This gets back to your the point you were making around a world in which it's kind of increasingly toxic for a lot of people. Because if you're talking about diabetes, mass diabetes, mass obesity, you know, that's bad food, that's processed food, that's food deserts, that's all this type of stuff. If you're talking about mental health, that is social media, that is this always on device in our pocket. And, you know, then we're taking these drugs to kind of counteract the toxicity, but then we need other drugs to kind of build us back up. It's kind of hard to get your head around, but it feels like, and maybe this isn't just the way 
we develop as a society, but there have there's a simpler way of just like, can we just try to get back to the center a bit of creating a society that is just not so actively toxic in all these different ways that require all these incredible interventions just to get us to a place where we're okay? First of all, I do agree that obviously some things, not all of them, the simpler ones like weight management, that's why actually Ozempic is it's just a start and it's not even the most exciting one by far of weight management can be achieved with discipline. Yeah, history, religions have told us and taught us many things which where you can, by the way, achieve similar outcomes with them with psychedelics like meditation yeah, and fasting and contemplation not doing social media and stuff like that. So, and by the way, I'm not uh, thinking either or. The great thing, by the way, with psychedelics is that people are actually after a psychedelic trip, then really doing lifestyle changes like less social media, less of the toxic stuff, and then adding also the other practices like meditation, whatever. But let me come back because I wanted to add two more like that because weight loss was just the first one. Now comes muscle mass. Muscle mass is already a thing, yes, if you eat healthy, da da da, you got, and if you train a lot, you're gonna keep more muscles for longer. But aging will lead to a loss of muscle mass. Yeah. No matter how disciplined you are, no matter how long you train, if you don't do anything medically, you're gonna lose muscle mass. And so, why? Yeah, I want you to be 90, I want you to be 120 and have a very young body, which includes muscle mass. So, we need support. But then, by the way, again, let me come back to that. Why? Another thing to put it is the following. If you look at Western medicine, I think one of my personal theories is that our biggest success was also the source of our biggest weakness was the invention of antibiotics. Because antibiotics, this was amazing. And there were many yeah. issues, all bacterial, which killed millions and millions of people before. And no... Eastern way, let's say, no spiritual, no whatever, no no, no holistic view on the body could save you if you had a very severe bacterial infection. You died. Yeah, The Western medicine came, developed antibiotics, and we were like, wow, that was a game changer. And it was a game changer, but we fell into the trap to believe that every problem related to our body is the problem of oh, there is something in our body which shouldn't be there and we're going to give you one medication, it's going to kill that rest. Yeah. And it also created the problem that it sort of created the Western paradigm. You have to be sick first. Yeah, sick care rather than healthcare. Exactly. And just then healthcare comes and makes you normal again. And my view is, again, and that is what I just a little bit tried to say with that wider societal change, trans movement, whatever, is like, who is to define what is normal? And why do I need to wait to minus one? Why can I not say I'm I'm at level zero, but I want to be a plus one? And where this is going to start, like muscles is the thing, but like, again, happiness is already adding on. Yeah. But like, why not add intelligence? Why do we all, we, we accepted that as a fact that we have a genetic intelligence and maybe it's added by education in early years. But what is if I could give you either therapeutics or a brain-computer interface, a BCI, yeah. which makes you more intelligent, which gives you extra memory? Yeah. And while that might sound like sci-fi, at BlackRock, we're already working on a hearing device, which will not just make people, because we're going to send 
sound directly to the brain, not gonna make hear fully again, because by the way, current hearing devices are shit. They make people hear maybe 20% of what a, a fully able person is. We wanna obviously wanna make it 100%, but why not 150? Why don't I give you super hearing? Yeah, and that's what excites me that I think on a very, not basic, but very early level, Ozempic seems to have shaken up the biotech and pharma world and has made executives and investors aware that with what we colloquially would call vanity or enhancement, hundreds of billions of market cap can be added. And I'm very hopeful that this is going to change the course of, uh, course of biotech and that we're going to think more about what can we all create to make the life of ideally every single person better. Yeah. So just to finish up, all of this leads to, you mentioned it earlier, maybe we don't, we won't need human labor in the future, perhaps in the not too distant future. As I mentioned this just this week, they, Google put out Gemini, which appears quite powerful. Um, and every week there's some new thing. Where are you in your kind of thinking on AI and kind of where we are with that technology? I would say definitely AI will surprise us. Everything is going to be quicker here than we, we think. Yeah. So one basic, because we can talk about, and that's an open question, will there be AGI? Because that was the talk uh, of the last weeks. And then the, if you want to go there, the question is, what is AGI? Because also different people use different definitions. But if I leave that aside, but I think the minimum is sort of the, the, the base case for me for AI is, that over the next five to 10 years already, the following will happen. First, AI will disrupt most of jobs. Uh, and by the way, especially white collar jobs. Yeah, That is from doctors to lawyers, to call center employees, to journalists, to everything. Yeah, So AI will do it the same. Yeah, You're going to have specialists most likely in most jobs, but sort of the, the, the sort of middle thing or like the, the mass amount of jobs in all in literally almost every sector you can think of will be disrupted and will be making obsolete so at the same time though i believe companies especially by the way in the western world especially in the us i think ai is also one truly like as dysfunctional as the us is in many many ways ai will cement the leadership of the us for decades to come and so, especially in the Western world, especially in the US, companies, their profits will skyrocket because of these efficiency things. And they will distribute. I'm an optimist there. They will give back to the people because otherwise we're going to have a revolution and whatever. So either by law or by societal consent, people will just work way less. I do not think that we all won't work because also like having a job, having an occupation kind of still for a while will be part of the human narrative that this is what you should have. But it could be well be, Jamie Dimon said it, that the normal job just requires you to work three days and maybe just two days, maybe just one day a week. So I'm really like, aside of all the tech and biotech stuff we're doing, what we sort of preparing for or thinking about a lot is like, what will humans do with all this free time, especially because I believe they're going to have the same purchasing power because they're going to get enough money from the corporates to sort of not feel disenfranchised. So, and that starts off, we 
So I know investing a lot in hotels and we own the largest life entertainment business, but also gaming will be super important. Yeah, uh, and all of that stuff. But beyond that, and there they meet psychedelics, maybe some people who, who listen now say, oh my God, this is sad, like, because I need a, a job. But like, you will have a job, that's what I believe, but you can be way more flexible in what you do because you don't have to do a certain thing to make money. So, and it's practically like, if you go back again, historical analogy, like before we invented agriculture and before we started to settle down, start villages, because that's what we had to do to produce agriculture, we were hunter-gatherers. And hunter-gatherers had round about two hours a day, they were investing into making a living. And the rest of the 22 hours, what did they do? They slept. They had sex. Yeah, they sat around the campfire and being social, telling stories and doing things they wanted to do. I don't think they were bored. And suddenly the free time will give us all the opportunity to explore new things like friendships, like, uh, but maybe you want to learn an instrument. Maybe you want to write a book. Maybe what? So I think we're going to see an explosion of creativity, what humans will do once they are freed from the often very sort of monotone labor. So why I mentioned psychedelics though, one thing we hadn't touched earlier, because we talked a lot about the trip, sort of the experience, the spiritual part of it, but there is a second effect psychedelics have on the brain. So the weeks and months after people take psychedelics, in a very simplified way, the brain is a bit growing, but especially it's becoming more neuroplastic. So in that neuroplasticity gain is associated with being able to change course, learn new things, creativity, openness. So what I want to say, the world we're building with AI, with longevity, by the way, because now put two things together on the one side, yeah. people will live longer and longer and we're going to have AI. And if even if you do a job now, you might a, maybe want to change it or maybe AI is disrupting it very soon. So we're going to have short version. We're going to be able to constantly change in the future. While maybe some people are now saying, oh my God, that's awesome. The fact is, if you look at the evolution of our brain over our lifetime, the ability to, to seek out novelty and to be open for change is going down. So you see that if you really look at how a young brain is reacting on a challenge and how an old brain is reacting on a challenge. So it might well be that we have a 60, 70, 80, 90 year old who's completely fit physically, but who is not really, and I don't want to say intellectually able to learn something, but like a 90 year old at the moment, at least would lack sort of that impetus. Yeah. That, you know, set in their ways, as they say. Exactly. And a psychedelic trip can ease people and open up people for that. So I think we actually gonna this will be gonna we will be one of the main use cases of psychedelics in the next decade is to help people ease into an ever-changing world because of the velocity and the speed AI right. will permanently disrupt uh, our world. Yeah so that is one big uh, intersection. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Christian for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews. I told you we would be going in lots of different directions, did I not? Quite an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't, take a moment, stop, do a rating, do a review of the podcast. It helps other people find it. 
I will be writing about longevity and AI both in this week's Sunday Times. So do check it out at thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual paper. And that is it for me this week. Thank you as ever for listening once again and have a fantastic week. Bye-bye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.